Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading The Tully Show. Excited to be back for the second time in less than a week and excited, of course, to have our dear friend Mark McGrath back with us. A quick note on the uh, the sound quality of what you're about to hear. Zoom, bro. Just Zoom. Some... I don't know if I if you even care about the reason. An internal setting changed, and all of a sudden, instead of just having a Mark audio track, there's a track that's me and him mixed together that I can't pull apart. So not just not only is Mark on Zoom, I'm on Zoom. Look, between you and me, if you give up on this one a few minutes and you don't want to deal with the sound quality, I don't totally blame you. Uh, I, I hope it's still listenable. I, I'm sure it is still listenable. I'm very, very hopeful. I've said this before, but I've never been more optimistic. The next time you hear me and Mark McGrath together, we will be not on Zoom. I will not be in my now nine-year-old son's bedroom. We will be in the flesh, hugging it out and bringing you a more conventional Tully show, talking about the new releases of, what are we up to, May of 1981 at this point. So... Hopefully you enjoy this show. Thank you for listening to it. Of course, there's always my Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash Mike Tully. All that having been said, away we go. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape as we, hell, I don't think we're in quarantine anymore, so I don't know what we're celebrating. Freedom, sweet freedom, still being celebrated, being observed (laughs) via Zoom. From my now nine-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City, adjacent California, boasting, yes, a partially obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the lead singer of Sugar Ray and three-time champion of rock and roll Jeopardy. Hello and welcome back our dear friend, Mark McGrath. Mike Tully, as always, a pleasure. And yeah, I think quarantine is ending. You know, we just came back from a gig uh, last week down in Florida. It ended there six months ago. I mean, Florida is done. I think people are starting to open up. You're seeing Broadway. Broadway is coming back. Um, Bands are touring, which I didn't think any bands were going to be touring. So bands are setting up touring for late summer, uh, fall. So I think by July 4th, this will be a... uh, one for the annals of history. Yeah, I, I'm definitely becoming more and more aware that more and more people that when we talk about things are getting better, things are reopening. Look at me, Ma. I took a mask off walking in a wide open field by myself the other day that many people are laughing at us or having a, a, an even more negative reaction because in their world, they were never quite as touched by this as, as we were, and they have not been touched by this in some time. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we are um, we're talking about the measles or rubella to a lot of people. It's the sort of thing that you've heard of that you know can happen, but not something that actually figures into the calculations about how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. And I'm, I'm glad to be catching up to those people rapidly. I'm back, baby. I don't have any friends, so it makes no difference. But theoretically, I can- <laughs> Oh, I, I doubt that, Tully. You got a friend in me. And I think worse comes to worse, everybody's hygiene is going to be a hell of a lot better going forward. Uh, and that's something that we can all benefit from. But I, I'm with you. There, there's also, you know, I've, I've said this before, there's never going to be a point of reentry like where everybody's going to go, okay, it's okay now. It's yeah. never going to be that. 
There'll be a point where the government just throws it back to the individual. We're already there in half the states yep. and the other states are, are slowly arriving there. So it's always going to be about self-responsibility. If you want to go somewhere, go somewhere. If you don't, do not. Yeah, exactly. Once once vaccines are widely available, uh, it's unfortunately you're if you if you if you're letting the lawyers run things and politicians are lawyers, you're looking about you're looking at six a six week lag time from everybody on earth who wants one can get one. Get your first one. Wait four weeks. Get your second one. Wait two weeks until you tick up from ninety six to ninety seven to as close to vaccinated as Moderna can get you. And then <laughs> at, at that point, it is between you and your God, how you choose to to live your life. But I'm I'm I feel like we've said this the last three times we spoke, but I believe the next time we do this, we will be speaking together, sharing this same, uh, hopefully not COVID infected air. No, yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. And I think when when it doesn't have a value in politics, as disgusting as that sounds, yeah. and you can see it slowly fading off the uh, front pages of the news, there's no more breaking news on CNN anymore about something. So it's slowly not becoming valuable to politicians, which, you know, I mean, forget about humanity. And, and that's mm-hmm. when you're going to see it really fade away. And we're slowly seeing that. So you've been back on stage. You're kind of getting back into the lifestyle. To what extent did it feel like slipping on an old pair of shoes? And to what extent does it feel like it's new again for the first time? Yeah, uh, the first show we played in Tampa a little over a month ago, that was still a little bit strange because there was kind of uh, people set up in pods and people had masks on and everybody socially distanced. The show we played in Jacksonville last weekend 10,000 people crammed back in, looked like any, any place we've ever played. So uh, that felt like put, you know, getting on a bike again, you know, slipping on a pair of slippers. Ah, here we go. This is what we missed. And I was very grateful for it. Very, very grateful. So um, you, you pick it right back up again. If you're ever uh, lucky enough uh, or have the uh, great fortune to be able to do something you love and it's taken away from you and you get it back again, it's a beautiful thing to you pick it right back up. Well, I'm I'm very happy for you and uh, for the world that we are Thanks, picking bro. things back up. Me too. I want to uh, I want to talk to you today about I feel like every time we do an episode, we go well. There's three other shows that we should be doing, and then we never get to any of them. And there's one that I really do want to talk to you about. Uh, this will be a different kind of show. A while back, we were talking about the new releases. I want to say it was January of 1981, and I shared with you and everyone else a band called The Television Personalities, which who I described as one of my favorite twee bands, and you expressed a, a, a certain amount of incredulity that there could be a whole genre of music with which you had not even a passing familiarity. Do you recall this? I absolutely do, and it really let me know there's a generation gap fully in effect not only between me and Twee and things that are going on, yeah. but between me and you, mm. you know, I mean, you, you have just been way more plugged into like a new music, new scenes. Like I kind of gave up on that. You know, oh, no, 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 kids. no, 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 Hey, Mark, a lot of things have changed about today's show, but believe rest assured, we're still not listening to anybody who recorded anything of significance after 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Cause Twee, cause Twee was developed in 81, right? I mean, Twee, let, let, you know, do, do me a favor for the listeners mm, and sure. myself. Give me a little mm-hmm. backstory of Twee and give me the clip notes again. I'm glad you asked me that. I just so happen to have the Wikipedia page open in front of me. Twee pop is right. a subgenre of indie pop thought to have sort of crystallized to the extent that the subgenre ever did 
in a 1986 compilation called C86 from, uh, from NME, New Music Express, characterized by its simplicity and perceived innocence, some of its defining features, boy-girl harmonies, catchy melodies, lyrics about love, um, a definite lo-fi. If you, you, you can't be too competent at your instrument or at singing. You can't be trying too hard to be in twee. So sort of the the punk rock version of pop folk. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Now, now was it fabricated by the enemy? The enemies is, is, you know, for Mm -hmm. people who know, was like a weekly Rolling Stone publication in the UK. Did the enemy go, we're going to group these bands together that we don't know what they are and call them twee. Does the origin of twee have a uh, historical documentation where it came from? Okay, so the word twee is a way more common adjective in England, and I would think even uh, Ireland. And the word itself just means um, excessively or affectedly quaint, pretty, or sentimental. No, I think that there was a legitimate scene growing up of, we've said this many times, the most punk rock thing that you could do in the early 80s was to sound like something that hadn't been done before, not to sound like a punk rock band these are, I mean, and I say this with a shit ton of affection. These are very untalented Morrisseys. These are indoor kids who want to make indie pop and either don't have or can't be bothered to acquire the requisite skills to be Johnny Marr or Morrissey. And to give you some idea where we're going here, um, all music says twee pop is best likened to bubblegum indie rock. It itself gave birth to a scene in the mid 90s called Cuddlecore. Cuddlecore. Right. Now, what was it? Was Burger Records? You ever heard of Burger Records? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, it's just Orange County label that kind of had a lot of these sounds like twee bands. Yeah. You know, bands are very lo fi, very indie, writing songs about love and happiness and harmonies and all that stuff. Sounds a lot like twee. Do you think Rivers Cuomo loves twee? I have no doubt in my mind that Rivers Cuomo loves the fuck out of Twee. Um, uh, Kurt Cobain, you can hang just about anything. You can justify just any any crappy thing that was alternative from the late 80s by saying Kurt Cobain liked it. Did you know Kurt Cobain was into that? Right. Kurt, Kurt Cobain liked a band from Seattle called the Vaselines, I think, who are mm-hmm. ten, who mm-hmm. are tangentially part of the, the Twee world. It's one of these things when you hear it you go oh 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 it's that stuff and um some people i I have been so there's one compilation i want to give credit and i just can't find the article the onion av club turned me on to this years ago and they put together a suggested playlist they explain the history of the scene suggested playlist i loved like every single song that they suggested and since then I, i i think that maybe somebody else wrote another twee article like 10 years later so they took down the old one i can't find it i uh-huh. want to give every single song i'm about to play from you was suggested by this one article that i read in the onion av club which i just cannot find if i if anybody finds it i'd be happy to post it and give credit to the writer but i've been really surprised when i made a compilation out of the songs that were suggested by that article people with varied musical interests and backgrounds i've been surprised who has responded to this stuff and who has not i never know who's gonna like or really 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 hate this stuff you'll know the vibe as soon as i only play you one song there's a band called and it's just this 
Okay, so well, it, it kind of reminds me, uh, it, it, totally, just without hearing anything, how mm-hmm. punk rock, the black flags of the world, the circle jerks, uh, the exploited even, all these bands that kind of came out, had a lo-fi punk rock scene yeah. as a direct result to the bloated rock of the 70s. Now, yeah. it wasn't capitalized and commercialized until the offspring, Green Day, all those bands did it. Sounds yes. like people jumped on the Twee train yeah. and became the Cardigans, became Weezer. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and really look back at Twee to make it something big. I, I feel the Pixies kind of came out of the Twee. Yep. I, I bet Frank Black and, and Kim Deal have Twee leanings. You know what I mean? There's no and doubt about I, that. It kind of goes, right. And it goes back to like, what a gigantic, what gigantic bands these are. And the fact I'd never heard of Twee until January, mm-hmm. it really angers me. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I like to know the history and how things kind of got developed. So this yeah. is going to be educational for me as well, Tully. And I appreciate you bringing up the subject. Okay. So yeah, the cardigans are twee is all hell. Uh, the cardigans, whoever was the, the, the primary alchemist of that band, I feel does not receive enough credit. People don't, just because you make something cutesy in, in the same way that uh, comic actors, genius film comic actors, uh, Will Ferrell won't get the same credit that a Robert De Niro does, but we've seen way more comedic actors turn in con- convincing dramatic performances than the other way around. It's not harder to make difficult, you know, angsty music. It's not harder to make a Tracy Chapman song than it is to make Loveful by the cardigans, but one is regarded as a voice of a generation. The, the cardigan stuff, the way that they synthesized the twee thing and all of that loungy stuff from the sixties into something that was completely radio ready. And I mean, I'll say it again, their cover of Iron Man. They turned Iron Man by Black Sabbath. They didn't change a note and they turned it into lounge pop. It's insane. Whoever, the, I think it was the guy, I think it was the guitar player, really an underrated achievement, that band. No, I agree. And they're highly, highly underrated. And like you said, it's, you know, they're a band that like, you know, we're dealing in specialized genres of music, ended up having a number one song in that specialized music. So it was organic, too. You can't just set out to be the cardigans. It's got to be in your heart. You have to have a really specific musical palette. And also, though, you have to also pick from the greats. You know, you also have to learn from the greats. And yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, it was a perfect storm with the Cardigans. And that's why they're still able to play around the world today. Right, right, right. And I put them in the same category as all those swing bands. As much as I wasn't in that swing stuff, it's not enough to know when the culture is going to be ready for something because by then it's too late. You need to be two, three, four years ahead of where the culture is. And when you're sitting around putting a classified ad in the Music Weekly in Stockholm saying we're going to make a 60s style lounge pop act, who the hell is answering that ad? When you say, it's the cherry pop and daddies, hear me out. Nobody wants this right now. And there need to be 14 people in the band for this yeah. to work. Right. Trust and me. And you need to know how to play the French horn. Yeah. And you have to be like, you know what I mean? It's not like we need a guitar player and a bass player. We need yeah. horn players. And like, you yeah. know what I mean? So it, it, is a, it is a tall ask, but you're right. It already sort of has to be built within you. You can't go chasing it. You yeah. know, and that's why the swing thing with cherry pop and daddy, scrolling that zippers, uh, big boot bad, uh, big bad voodoo daddy, royal crown reviews. It's almost like you know when there's a zeitgeist bubbling under just organically, and then there's some people ready for it. 
and then the scene hits and they're ready to go. It doesn't yeah. happen as much anymore because of the internet, but it certainly happened back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it sure did. So look, I'll let you be my guide on this. I have put together a more conventional topic for us to talk about. When you say, okay, fine, tweet, got it. We can X out and move over to other stuff. But I have I have plenty of these bands to share with you. And as I mentioned, the television personalities, I played the song, This Angry Silence on one of our recent episodes. They're a band that has like 15 albums. You didn't know that they were going on, but they got greatest hits. This next band, The Field Mice, has a double greatest hits album. And who the hell are The Field Mice? But is that an ironic title? Is that an ironic? No, title? no, no, no. I mean, it's, got, it's, it's got like 24 songs on it. No, but I mean, are, are, where are the field mice from? That was Twee, Twee obviously, Twee obviously gained its uh, momentum in the UK, in Ireland. Like, right. It was like, it's, it's, it sounds kind of specific to the UK. Like what are, what are, where are the, the television personalities? Where are they from? They're English. I think the field mice are English, but there's definitely at least three American bands that I am prepared to share with you now. Uh, let me let me play a little bit of this field mice yeah. song. This to me is uh, is ripe for if somebody. It's still probably not too late for somebody to swoop in and make a proper recording of this song and have some sort of success somewhere because th these people somehow stumbled on a, a, a pretty classic little pop song in my opinion it's called emma's house like everything I love from the 80s, from Lloyd Cole and the Commotions to Flesh for Lulu with that effective voice with the Johnny Marr jingle jangle guitar. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I find it interesting they needed to call it a different genre than just what it was then. You, you know what I mean? I mean? Look, I know there's strength in numbers and, and marketing is all part of the thing, but it's a beautiful song right there. I mean, it's a wonderful melody. And do you think if that, do you think the charm is the lo-fi production or do you think that is the, the detractor of the song because i know you said if someone picked up on this and yeah you know, what, what 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 is what is it that we're liking so much about it i guess i love the melody i love yeah. the feel of the driving bass very cure we talked about this many times all those yes. punk post-punk bands of the in the uk in the 80s all had that driving joy division cure bass line which is very apparent in the song Mm -hmm. But what is it we like about it so much? Well, I think a great song is a great song is a great song. And I mm -hmm. think me personally, I, I always use the analogy of chefs that when you spend all your time around a really, really great steak or a really, really good, you know, white clam sauce, you just get a little jaded to that. And you want somebody who can flare up the add a little flair to the classics. And so I always like a band that is pushing 
as far as they can outside the bounds of what pop music would ordinarily be while still mm -hmm. retaining the essential popness of it, the essential songness of it. So to me, that loses a lot of its charm. If, uh, you know, wh whatever you call the process by which Nirvana goes from bleach to nevermind, right. what happens with the production, it becomes, it, for this kind of stuff, becomes more successful, uh, you know, more palatable to the masses, more able to become successful, but loses the personal authenticity of, I can feel the person in their bedroom writing and recording this song. It's bedroom pop. It's what it is. It's bedroom pop. That's actually, I, I like that better than the, the, the Twee, the Twee moniker. I don't love. Okay. You know, cause I, I think it's hard to say like, I, I'm a big Twee fan. Oh yeah. And I'm really into like, you know what I mean? It's, it sounds like a boy band. You know what I mean? And with all, I love boy bands though, but it's hard to like hang your hat on the Twee movement. Right. You know, I'm riding for the Twee movement. Well, but, but and that band and that particular song there, which is the field field mice. Yeah, that's correct? right. Mm-hmm. Are there ever, because you, you said a distinctive tenet of Twee is a boy and a girl, which I heard only a boy in that one. I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's not the, uh, the exceptions, but I didn't hear any harmonies in it. I just heard one driving, you know, baritone vocal. Mm -hmm. it, it, does it go into like uh, uh, harmonies and layers on it, or is that just kind of the uh, approach to the vocal? I guess I'm trying to ask you, what are the major tenets of Twee again? I, it's it's, it's lo-fi indie pop it's indebted to 60s pop and it's cute to the point of being a little too cute for its own good to most people i think that's very very well said so it's not particular a guy a girl has to be in it doesn't have to have harmonies um but it's melodic as hell it's mm -hmm. a guy who went to guitar center yeah. Learned D, C, G, maybe yeah. E minor on yeah. guitar mm -hmm. and said, I'm going to start writing and had some decent songwriting down. It's, Do you know you what know, I mean? Most of us chose between the Fender Strat and the Fender Telecaster. These are the people yes. who went for the Fender Jaguar. Or, or they went for the ES, the Gibson ES-335. You yeah. know, they went for the Jesus and the Mary Chain, maybe overdriven, you know, yeah. uh, distortion to hide behind the lack of voice. Kind of what uh, Julian Casablancas does. And the Strokes, who probably are a twee band in some some shape or form, you know, because there are very lilting melodies in their, in their music as well. I think a lot of people owe more to twee than they understand. They probably know. I think that's that's probably true. There's also a lot of really incompetent drumming. There's a lot of people who are not able to hit a hi-hat cymbal at the same time that they hit a snare drum. That's definitely a hallmark of the genre is the, every band that's trying to start off when this is like if the band you tried to start when you were a 12 year old actually managed to record an album. Everybody has a guitarist. Everybody has somebody who can sing. You can always stick a less capable guitar player. You can stick a bass in his or her hands. The drummer <laughs> is the hard part. These are the bands right. before they actually find the, uh, the, you know, the guy in Blink-182 before Travis Barker, the guy in Nirvana, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the guy in Nirvana before Dave Grohl, with all due respect to those right. capable but unspectacular skinsmen. Right, exactly. The difference between, you know, loading up in a van and becoming an international superstar. You know right. what I mean? Uh, um, the Bobby Gillespie of Jesus and the Mirror Chain, who stood playing, st stood up playing drums with a uh, kick drum and a snare and a hi-hat. And that's all he had. Yeah. And then he said, you know, forget this. I'm going to become the lead singer of Primal Scream and became one of the biggest uh, bands in England.
Oh, which I didn't is know really that's, strange. You, I didn't know that's where Primal yeah. Scream guy came from. Bobby Gillespie's the original drummer on Psycho Candy at Jesus and the Mary Chain on that record. And no kidding. the original Jesus and the Mary Chain shows would be 20 minutes long. They'd set up, they'd turn the distortions on 10. They wouldn't face the audience. You couldn't hear anything. And it's a distortion mess. They'd play 20 minutes and leave. And that was the charm, the tweeness, if you will, of yeah. the Jesus and the Mary Chain. Primal Scream are a real interesting band in their own right. Cause I felt like they were, I don't, I don't know if you're supposed to consider them trend chasers or innovators, but they were like just about every album out, you were essentially dealing with a whole different band. You know, the one album's called Screamadelica. And then mm -hmm. like th 18 months later, he's like a, a, a cyberpunk. Yeah. I don't think there's a band that's gone through a bigger uh, chameleon like sta uh, state than uh, Primal Scream. I think you're totally right. And Screamadelica, though it didn't make a dent in the United States, won Mercury Awards in yeah. England. It was gigantic. This band plays arenas and basically around the world. But here they'd play, you know, they, they would play the Roxy. Which is just, it's a very, it's weird, but they, 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 you're so right. They changed every record. They were into something new. Um, and you're right. I don't know if they were ahead or behind. I mean, you know, uh, Screamadelica is uh, the Rolling Stones site, Rocks Off, right? That's the big time. They sound like the Rolling Stones on it. Yeah. Get your rocks off, get your rocks on. So they'll go, we sound like the Rolling Stones. Now we're going to sound like cyberpunk. And then they did like a uh, Graham Parsons type record. I mean, they're just all over it, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, let me share you another band from uh, Equally Tweet in their own right. This band, I don't know anything about them. I'm pretty sure they're uh, American. They are called Rocket Ship. And this song is called I Love You Like the Way I Used to Do. accordion i hear in there going hey i mean if i could get my i would pay 100 dollars, mark mcgrath if somebody would give me access to the mix of that so i could turn whatever shitty organ they used right just a little bit because there's a, that song i feel like they push it to the brink of how much anybody could be asked to endure that sort of organ thing there's other songs on the album that i feel are just completely rendered unlistenable by how loud they make that organ thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the thing is, I don't even know if it's an organ. It might actually be an accordion. I'm not kidding. <laughs> you, it's, I, I, it's, it's so loud and unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And ironically, the song is so pleasant. Yeah. I don't know if that was their dissonant way of how they wanted to record it. Um, because you say Tui is very, uh, you know, unique and it's very lo-fi and bedroomy and, I, I feel very Brady Bunchy when I'm listening to this. Yeah, to big tweet. time, big time. You, you know, I, I feel like it's a big Brady Bunch aesthetic over this whole thing. And I don't even know how to articulate that. I also feel like Ian Brown from the Happy Mondays was a big, uh, no, no, and Ian Brown from the Stone Roses was a big Twee fan. Because the way, it almost sounds like the song Waterfalls by Stone Roses, you know? 
Yeah. I feel like some melodies were kind of ached or coughed off this twee movement. And the baritone vocal style reminds me very much of the Stone Roses' first record, which ironically sounds like twee that's produced very well with amazing songs. Yeah, the Stone Roses, I mean, you put them right. That's a whole other show in its own right. The uh, the Stone Roses and the primal screams of the world who both managed to make an imprint here. But it, in England, the Stone Roses are Guns and Roses. And the, second, the Beatles. and the second Stone Roses album was the Chinese Democracy. It was the album. They just skipped the Use Your Illusion. They made the first album. It was it was uh, received as a perfect, flawless debut album. And then the world waited 10 years for a follow up. Boy, that's well said with that Chinese democracy comparison. I think uh, the second record is aged a little better. I really like some songs in that second record. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I love 10, 10 Story Love Song. I think it's a beautiful song. It just sounds like a band that hates each other. Yeah. You really tell, you know, that Chinese democracy is, is anything but a Guns N' Roses record. You know, it's Axel and his sort of whims and stuff where the Stone Roses first record is a band that loves each other. It's got bright eyes. It's like that first Oasis record. We're going to take on the world. We know we're on to something. We know we're cool. You know, they know they have the goods. I don't think they knew they were going to be so gosh darn big. And they they kind of articulated that in their uh, documentary. But the second record, which is bloated thing, it was also the... Uh, insecurities of trying to follow up such a magical record that was always being already being exalted into the uh you know into the classics of the beatles the stones so the best debut ever to come out of a british band pretty tough pretty tough legend to follow up but it took them 10 years to do it uh, but i think that record's aged a lot better than chinese democracy has and ever will but i love that comparison with the stone roses thing but i hear a lot of ian brown melody in the first field my song and in this rocket ship song for sure. So I think he was a listener to the old twee is what I'm trying to say to you. You would, you would know far better than I, it took me a minute to get the stone roses because I had to work backwards. He, again, to further the analogy for people who don't know him, he was the direct antecedent to Liam Gallagher. He even has the, he even has a monobrow. They're very, 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 very similar people. So on the strength of his charisma alone, he could command a lot of attention in England by releasing any sort of solo record. And by the time I lived in England, he was releasing any sort of solo record. And I recall, (laughs) I mean, he was on a TV show over there playing his new single and it was called if dolphins were monkeys and it was the song if dolphins were monkeys <laughs> Dude. i was just gonna ask you i actually like this song if oh dolphins my god were monkeys and he would do that <laughs> ape dance it's not like he's got a gorilla dance he kind of does on stage and, yeah oh, and he's a monkey but you're man. right he has so so much effortless charisma in that yeah. guy ian brown yeah and he just always looks cool just like liam gallagher i think liam gallagher is the perfect storm of johnny rotten at the Johnny Rotten vocal inflection, like, yeah, yeah, with a bunch of Ian Brown charisma. And they found them to Liam Gallagher. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So it took me a second to realize that there was stuff that, that the if dolphins were monkeys guy, which, by the way, that song is literally just about this thing that he he must have been stoned and watching a David yeah. Attenborough documentary or something. Is that <laughs> yeah, exactly. what if he, what he's if, a big stoner? Yeah. What if humankind had evolved out of dolphins instead of monkeys? 
trip on that, bro. That's what that song was was about. So it took me a while to realize that there was, I mean, think about it. I don't know. But, you know, on top of all of his charisma, Ian Brown, he had one of the best musically inclined bands to follow him up. You know, you had uh, Remy on drums. Just listen to Fool's Gold if you want to hear one of the best songs of all time. John Squire on guitar, really, you know, adding some beautiful, like, flares. Um, and Manny on, on bass. I mean, the, uh, Stones Roses are, are, are known so well of being this incredible band. So forgive me if I have a bit of hyperbole, but a lot of people in America really don't know the greatness of the Stone Roses. And they're just, just you know, a, a band that should be exalted uh, with the Beatles, with the Oasis, who they influence uh, radically with the Sex Pistols in terms of influence on British culture. What, what happened? What was to become? They started the Blur Oasis fight. Come on, we know this. Did they literally? Well, no, they just, they started the, you know, I, I like to say it's, I, and you know, this is, could be fighting words. Jane's addiction started and so did REM. They started alternative music in America. This is, this is what I, and replacements did to some, but not as much as Jane's and REM did. Now when yeah. Jane's and REM came out, they were considered college music. Right. And they came out like seven years apart. There's a big gap there. Uh, oh, yeah. Big gap. And yeah. then people didn't know what the R.E.M., but R.E.M. started to sneak into the pop, you know, with, with some songs, Orange Crush. Everyone started sneaking. James came out with a record which could match the, um, uh, the, 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 the talent, the skill level, the, the incredible creative depth of R.E.M. Now we're having bands to hang our hats on with a new genre of music, which is alternative. So James ushered in that whole world, which became everything we heard in the 90s. And I think... Uh, I think Stone Roses did that, laid the template for bands like Blur and Oasis to achieve the massive success that they did. Because if you look at the charts in the late 80s in, in, in Britain, it was a lot of like Nick Haywards. It was a lot of like, you know, dance bands and stuff like that. Stone Roses slowly ushered in the rock and roll back, which Blur and Oasis just ran with. And it became, you know, Britpop. That's actually, I never really thought about that. It's pretty crazy because there's no Oasis without Stone Roses, but there's also no Blur. It's, it's, I never thought of the, right. the, the, that's where the tree of British rock and roll, that's without a doubt the theater branch. I mean, Blur had a lot of other influences as well. But yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, you go deeper on that than, than, than I do. I, I, I really tried with Stone Roses. I'll, I'll give Fool's Gold another, another listen because yeah, I want to be adored and waterfall, and uh, I, I was I was left uh, uh, wanting a little bit more from Stone Roses with the reputation that they that they show up with. You know, I thought that they benefited. It took me a while. It, yeah, it, it took me a while to. It wasn't an immediate sell for me, especially the first record. I didn't like it. I love Fool's Gold. I always loved it. Just such a great groove, and the, the bass is so amazing. Give that another shot. Listen to Waterfalls. It's a great song. Yeah. Ten story love song. To me, they, they're they're you know I have to cherry pick singles from them. You know I'm not trying to go into a deep dive of Stone Roses. I don't know how much there is a deep dive. I think they only released. They re- they, you know I know they got back together. Did they release a third record during the reunion? I my my gut tells me yes, but I don't. I'm not sure about. So that. does mine. So does mine, but I never heard a piece of music from it. It's just so funny with these people reunite nowadays and you end up finding out that the the glory days were about four years long and the reunion's been going on for 26, you know, and it just like. The- well, absolutely, because I think, you know, look, sometimes the bands didn't make the money that they yeah. they, they 
they made it the top. You know, a band, a, a Guns N' Roses is making more money now than they ever made on one tour than they made in their entire first run uh, of Guns N' Roses. I'm not saying it's all about money, but it's all about money. Sure. You, you know what I mean? I think after a while, you learn to live with each other. You go, okay, the Stone Roses are going to be my legacy. Let's protect it. Yeah. Let's go out there. Let's find a way to work with each other and make a lot of money for doing something really fun. And we can bring this car out of the garage if we want to, play every couple of years, play the big festivals in Europe, make a lot of money, and go home. I think as you get older, you get a little distance from the legacy, you get a little distance from each other and the personalities. You start saying, wow, man, that was, that, that was a great time in my life. It's, that, that's my legacy. We tried other things. Let's protect it and let's 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 make some money off of why we can't. You know, I think that's a lot of bands come to that realization, especially when you're dealing with that level of earning uh, power. You know, when you can you can headline, uh, you know, all those festivals out there, and you're I mean, you're talking getting 10, 10 million pounds for a show, Coachella. You know what I mean? It's it's you start to like the people in your band a whole lot more, right? When they're standing offers that are in seven yeah. and eight figures. Well, let, let me ask you something. Everybody quite rightly made fun of the funny sweatered band therapist guy in Metallica's some kind of monster. But based on some stuff I've heard in, in other areas of, you know, I don't know, let's say, let's say radio, that's not as unheard of as I would have guessed you know i had heard about shows where you know i mean the rumors in radio you know those guys haven't spoken a word to each other off air in 10 years i've heard that once or twice about it but now i'm hearing even more about these people are in group therapy together because they mutually agree that there is so much money in this they have to manage their mutual intense loathing for one another so much so that yeah they both agree we should see a therapist on a weekly basis so we can continue coexisting on microphone i would never ask you to name names i don't care are you aware of bands that that we see as functioning in the world that are that dysfunctional behind the scenes none that i know personally that i know but lots of bands that i've heard of i mean all from the big ones from rolling stones to everybody have some sort of emotional spiritual guru yeah. and by the way there might be a couple because when you're talking about the rolling stones you're talking about metallica you're talking about the eagles there isn't one manager of that band anymore right. each entity has their own manager and they have their own new wives to deal with and all these radical hardcore factors that can really mess with the band's heads if you don't table if you don't come out with your resentments because it won't last long and when you see the amount of money that's capable of being made, it is not uncommon. They have five psychiatrists sit down with 65 lawyers and go, how are we going to figure this out? You know, because it's worth, uh, you know, it, it's, it's financially worth it to, to the entities and parties involved. So I, I've heard of bands doing it, you know, I mean, but you have to be on that level. You know, bands on my level, like, you know, you could never get the original guys back together. No one gives a shit anyway. There's not enough, you know, but, but you know, you, you, there's certain levels to this thing where, okay, so I can fly into my private jet. I don't have to look at, you know, whoever it is. Yeah, sure. And I, we, we go on stage. We're cordial. We don't have to even speak. We can have our minders sort of mediate, you know, get our, get our sounds on, uh, sound check and all that and play our show, act like we're fake best friends and go home. Yeah, I'm in. You know, most people can be convinced of doing that, you know? Yeah, I remember I saw Bon Jovi not that long ago with a couple family members and they came away saying, you know, it's just so great how you can see how close him and Richie Sambora are because they high-fived each other like five times during the show. And I said, you know, 
maybe they are. <laughs> and maybe, maybe they figured out that Jersey really responds when Richie and John high five each other. And I feel like the events that have transpired since then have vindicated. I'm, I'm sometimes accused of being overly cynical, but I feel somewhat vindicated. I think you're so right. It's probably contractually obligated that they do that. You know, yes, we need right. five high fives during one dead or alive or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, John John doesn't strike me as a spontaneous type of guy. I think he knows everything that's going to go on during that show. Right. Um, but, you know, like for me, I don't, you know, I'm, I, I, Bon Jovi's great. They're a fine band. I, I always be grateful for them. They let us open for them in Giants Stadium. In 2001, two nights in a row, one of the greatest, as a New York Giants fan, one of the greatest uh, musical moments of my life. To me, I'm wondering, like, why can't John just reach out to Richie and get them back together? That's me as a fan. Now, I'm sure there's eight, ten people out there that might say, why can't Sugar Ray just get the original guys back together? So I know not to step in other people's, you know, interpersonal dynamics. It's a lose-lose. There is no rhyme or reason. You know, it's the same reason why you can't call your first girlfriend or boyfriend tonight and go on a date with them. It's the same reason, you know? Yeah. So I've learned to stay away from not only other bands' interpersonal politics, I've learned to stay away from mine. Learn how to manage them at least, you know? Yeah, yep, yep. Well said. Uh, let me see. I'll play a few more of these. I don't know that we're going to have time to do anything else today. I think you mentioned last time that you are familiar with, boy, this is a twee band name, The Softies. The Softies, are, are, they, from, are they from Portland? I, they are definitely from the Pacific Northwest, 100%. Okay. Then, then it's definitely, I love the name. I love the name, The Softies. Okay, so especially it being a twee band, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're talking about, I believe, two females, both play guitar, both sing, and that's the band. That's what we're, that's what you're getting from the live uh, softies experience. This song is no drummer, no drummer. I don't think so. I listened to a live album and I think it was all, it's not acoustic because I think they both play. They're like two Billy Braggs. They just play electric guitars unaccompanied. Twee, twee music seems to be built on self-sabotage. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Meaning <laughs> we're going to put something in this to make it not popular. Do you know right. what I mean? So we know we failed on our own accord and we know why we didn't succeed. Oh. Even though these are great songs. Dang. Like if this, this could be a Natalie Merchant song that could be a gigantic hit. You know, I mean, it's a beautiful song. She has a lovely voice. She sounds like Lisa Loeb, like a jewel type. And if it was just... Nicely produced, but we're gonna we're gonna have no guitar players, and we're gonna have no drummers, no bass players, and we're gonna make it super like we're gonna have the vocals really uh, like low in the mix, have the guitars left, and like just like the rocket ship with the gigantic accordion sound, we're just gonna blow it out. Like there's always something wrong with the twee song that can mm-hmm. be easily fixed, and maybe that's the charm. You know? <laughs> 
that's really funny. Um, that is, I have four more songs and I think a really, really apt description of every single one of them. Right. There's, <laughs> because I like it. I like the music, you know, it's listenable. Yeah, there's always something wrong with a twee song is. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's see. This band is called Tiger Trap. Tell me what's wrong. What's wrong with this other <laughs> perfectly accessible <laughs> pop song? That's the theme. What's wrong with this twee song? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. you're getting the idea it's like when you put it's like when you play battleship and you start putting one pin here and one one pin there and you go oh i'm i'm starting to feel out the landscape of what these well-intentioned idiots were doing yeah i mean you can kind of tell you you've got their uh, strategy their setup you can you know <laughs> yeah. see their battleships you know what the next coordinate's going to be and you're going to sink the whole thing mm -hmm. you know but maybe that's a beautiful i mean look there is definitely a simpatico between every one of the songs we've heard, and there is a tweet movement, you know? Yes. I mean, to me, that would have been called college rock in the 80s. You know what I mean? I didn't know it was so specific. But again, very listenable. What's interesting about twee is the melodies never stop. Yeah. There's never a break. It's like, you know what I mean? There's never a... I was, um, uh, you know, it's just everything's a everything's just sort of searing, connected melody, which is, which is beautiful. It's it's very nice, but you can really tell that these bands influence more bands than they even know. I can tell, you know. I, I should have mentioned at the top. Not many people listening to this will be familiar with Bell and Sebastian, but yeah, compared to these bands. Bell and Sebastian are the Metallica of Twee. Somebody who absolutely 100% Bell and Sebastian are named after a French children's TV show. And that is Twee as all fuck. And, yeah. you know, everything was the saddest day and I lied and then I cried and I wanted to die. That is right. that's what this stuff is. And yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, also Rivers Cuomo. Yeah. And the cutesy titles like a, Little little frog in my throat, you know the Bell Sebastian songs. That mm. tiny little frog in my throat, like like everything's got a cutesy little title that you know that if you take it too seriously, that it's always protected by oh the irony of the title. You know what I mean? It's all this music. It's almost like steeped in like aesthetic, and it's so cool, but it's got this built-in insurance that something's always going to be wrong with it. So if it doesn't work, we know why. Oh, we wanted to make the accordion really loud. It's so funny to us. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I, it's just, it's interesting. Twee is music for people that love music, but just in case it fails, we've got a built-in insurance policy for why it failed. We control our own destiny. That's right. It's, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the thing that you are designed not to like so that you can't reject me because I've already rejected you. 
Exactly. I already know the joke. You're not going to tell it to me. I know the punchline, but I'm going to give you some beautiful music and and something sneaks through. Fantastic. And this and a lot of, a lot of this music, uh, Tony was made in the mid '80s, right? I mean, '80s into '90s. Yeah. Okay. So like you 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 really weren't going. Oh, let's hit the pop charts. I mean, like like today, songs like these could mean like Ariel Pink is a twee artist. I don't even yeah. listen to Ariel Pink. I mean, I think that's fair. This this sounds like everything he he, he does and has done. You know. Um, so I think today there's a whole, there's a different reality to Twee where Twee could be a really like, a, a, like a, at least theaters type touring bands. These bands could really find a home yeah. on the internet and on social media. I think oh, they really could. You know, there's definitely a thing that in bedroom pop just became more of people making beats at home because it's easier to make electronic music. Today's Twee is electronic. There's, That's there's right. No, there's no it's doubt. One man. And there's also twee hip hop for that exact same reason that one person that one person can do it. Uh, here's a band from uh, 1986. I think they were one of the bands on that C86 compilation. They are called Tallulah Gosh, which is twee is all fuck. See what uh, <laughs> see what is wrong with the song Beatnik Boy. Oh my life, I had a dream. Someone I'd like to meet He would be mine He'd be so fine My beanie boy says he Well, start with the one room mic band recording was a, <laughs> an interesting uh, recording choice on that. Uh, I love the tra la la la. That is so English. You know, that reminds you of the jam. Uh, that day's kids live in castle houses. Tra la 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 la. So a lot, lot, of, lot of that going on. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it was the, the lo-fi recording was so you need to that time. These songs, ironically, we kind of, we kind of mentioned in the last song, sound a lot more familiar today than they would have back then. Mm-hmm. You know, the lo-fi genre was just getting started then. So these are almost punk rock songs back then, you know? Now it sounds kind of familiar. You hear these on the KLXUs. You hear them on your Spotify, you know, sneak-in station every now and then, you know? Right. Well, and this is not the dawn of people being able to do low quality recordings but you know there's a period of time where if you're not going to a real studio there's no studio there is no right tascam home recorder that you're gonna buy so it, it, before a certain period of time like y- y- there were two kinds of albums albums made in big studios that took a long time to make and albums made in big studios that got made in eight hours because that's that's right was the only game in town and this is the dawn of you know I guess punk rock is the dawn of people being able to get their hands on instruments and going, I know three chords, screw it. Let's just start a band today. We don't need to wait. This is kind of the dawn of somebody bought a Tascam eight track recorder. We don't need to wait until we have a thousand dollars to make an album. We, we have a microphone and we can hit record. doesn't matter if we don't know how to actually mic a kick drum. Well, see that that's, that's so smart. I think you just solved the mystery of tweet. Because that's when Tascam four tracks. Remember the four track recorder? You could buy a guitar center, I and they were very simple to use. You mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you plug in the drum, you plug in the bass, you plug in a room. I mean, so like, you're right. These are people learning how to use a four, you know, a four track cast cam and going, let it roll. Mm -hmm. And you're right. The technology available at the time was the catalyst for this lo-fi tweed movement. You absolutely solved it right there, Tully. All right, great. Well, Beautiful I got, insight. I got two more of these. This band, I feel like, had in, enjoyed a... This band might have actually paid rent a few times with the the fruits of their labor. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, band Beat Happening. Beat Happening, certainly. Certainly, uh, Beat Happening was a touring band that definitely probably was off the dole for a year or two in 87, 88, you know? <laughs> That's exactly right. And I know the guy did a crossover record, a side project called Halo Benders with uh, Doug from Built to Spill. Built to Spill, another band that maybe not everybody listening knows about them, signed the major label deal, played thousand seat rooms. I'm sure still can. Built to Spill is a successful band that... There are many other things because he was also a bit of an alt rock guitar hero, a la Dinosaur yeah. Jr. Built to Spill is twee as all fuck. Well said. And the Strokes, the Strokes love Built to Spill. Took them on tour with them. So there's really? the Stroke connection. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow, strokes that, love Built to Spill. Yeah. That is that's fair because I feel like the Strokes really wear their influences on their sleeves. I never got that one. That's that's kind of kind of shocking to me. But I like both those bands, so I'm glad to hear that they uh, there's a mutual admiration society there uh here let me play a little bit of this now they would probably be the biggest twee band beat happening but despite, I, I have to say right despite the fact that i think this is the song that is going to make people the angriest because this is one of the <laughs> what well, the job more, well done that, one of the more, that's, <laughs> what is wrong with this twee song that was our whole thing <laughs> spoiler alert it's the guy's voice dude here we go yeah <laughs> Breakfast in cemetery, boy tasting wild cherry, touch girl apple blossom, just a boy playing possum, we'll come back for Indian summer, we'll come back for Indian summer, we'll come back for Indian summer, I think he literally forgets the lyric and they didn't bother to recut it. He just like gave up on that last <laughs> vocal know. there. He's like, oh my God. Yeah. It's so funny. I yeah. thought I was hearing Sonny and Cher at first, you know? Yeah. I got you, babe. It's got Sonny a real feel Cher, for that. But it's also Velvet Underground. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely Velvet Underground. Guy can't sing a note and it'll come from a guy who can't sing. So I, I, can, I am, uh, I've got all... Uh, uh, credentials to say that you've heard that. um but that's probably one of those voices that grows on you ironically y you know what i mean yeah they've got of they, they i don't know that they still have a, a following i think some creepy stuff may have come out about the singer later on i forget i was never all I, I was never up enough on beat happening to follow the beat happening you say creepy stuff you say I, some I, like there may have been some, some like, like lost profits creepy stuff Oh, nothing is creepier than than nothing is lost profits creepy. I, I thought Jesus I had because there there is a sort of um, okay similar to where there were allegations with the brand new guy where you go boy isn't it amazing that this guy's in his twenties but still really seems to relate to teenage emotions in a way that most of you. us have left behind. Boy, isn't right. that amazing it, how he he still remembers what it was like to be? And you go, well, no, it just turns out this guy right. can. Really 
really, really relate well to 15 year olds. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jimmy Seville got away. Huh? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if that was, uh, I, I, I don't know if that allegedly, was, right. I I re- yeah, we don't want to, I thought I remember hearing that. And, um, let's do one more just because the amazing coincidence of the fact that I, for reasons, I don't know, this band is known as Tully craft. That's fantastic. And, all this song, this song is called Pop Songs Your New Boyfriend's Too Stupid to Know About. And all it is is about a guy who's brokenhearted because his ex gave up on Twee and got into 90s rock and roll. Well, that's, that's the most Tully title I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so the band, the wow. band is aptly named, that's for sure. Let's hope the music delivers. I hadn't even, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it on that. I, I, didn't, I wasn't self, <laughs> self-reflective enough to think of it. Okay, so check this out. Pop songs. He likes the he likes the breeders. He thinks Green Day's pretty swell. What about the Bartleby's and Neutral Milk Hotel? That that's a more recent tweet. Yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah, no, they're in the '90s there for sure. Yeah, I, that that had a Dead Milkman feel to me, to tell you oh, the wow. truth. You know, yeah, especially, for sure. Yeah, especially his voice, you know, and especially the title and the being kind of irony and, his, and, and naming all these sort of uh, cultural references. Yeah. Um, that might be my favorite. Uh, song we heard today uh, of the Twee offerings, and not just because the Tully Craft emotional title that pulled at my heartstrings. I just think <laughs> it's uh, that's something I would listen to again of all the songs we heard. I'd be interested to hear more about the band. The other bands are fine. Yeah. This one I would I would chase after a little. You know, that's that's frankly that's shocking to me. But I, I that's hey, isn't music isn't music great? That you never know what's going to uh, to resonate with with people. Yeah, I would. Yeah, That's why everybody say. has an expert opinion. That's why when people ask me, like, you know, I, look, I don't know much about music. I go, you know, everything about music. I hate when people say that. You know, you are everybody's an expert on music. End of story. You know, except for people who like dubstep. Yeah, yeah, I would say you're right. Well, it's, because you like what you like, though. You know, yeah, I, that's why I'm saying it's like it's like it's such a subjective <gasps> world. Like you and I. You and I talk about it because we have a profound love for certain genres, for music in, in general. But, you know, my, my, my sister just listens to pop radio. She's an expert on what she likes. That's what I always say. You're an expert on what you're like. Let's not say an expert on music. Let, let me qualify that. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. I was, I was just having fun. All right. Well, I, I, I know that is all of the twee to which I, I go a little bit deeper on that stuff, but that's all of the twee to which I care to subject you or our friends, the listeners. Uh, next time we will get back to our regularly scheduled deep new release cuts from uh, 1981. Which feels like it was. Just- but I like this. I like to interject these things. We always say, let's let's do a thing on this. This was yeah. nice to do. It was a perfect twee length. You know what I mean? It, the length of this 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 show even felt twee-ish. You know, there's a lot of twee going on. So I learned more about it than I ever cared to know. And now I'm gonna like uh, have a new uh, you know genre to to pick from in my uh, my trivia pursuits. Yeah, this is more of a mini album or an EP, which is perhaps 
that's right befitting the genre well thank you as always <laughs> thank you as always for your time and let's uh let's see if we can't figure out a way to do one of these in person sometime very soon uh, i would love to michael tolly thank you my friend take care mark mcgrath all right brother be good